you have your Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of John in chapter 9. John chapter 9. You ever find yourself doubting the possible? Doubting the possible. As the story goes, it was a Thanksgiving, and it was this particular Thanksgiving that Helen cooked her first turkey. Before serving it, she announced to her husband, Charles, and her son, James, now this is the first turkey I've ever cooked. If it doesn't turn out right, I don't want you to say a word. We'll all just get up from the table and we'll go down to the restaurant and order a meal together. She went back to the kitchen. She came out later with the cooked turkey. And her husband and her son were sitting at the table with their with their coats and their hats on. (laughs) They were doubting what was possible. Ever catch yourself like that? Failing to trust, failing to believe, even, even willfully doubting the possible. Do you, know, do you know what willful doubt is? Willful doubt. It's, it's ignoring what's possible. It's even ignoring what's likely. Even choosing doubt over belief. And willful doubt, I would suggest, is a sly killer of faith and belief and hope and trust in God. We're all prone to willful doubt without the gracious work of God in our hearts. So how can we overcome willful doubt? How can we defeat doubt and in its place learn to trust God, to put our hope in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ and to put our hope in in the promises of God's Word? Here in John 9 today, we're going to see that Though all the signs point to Jesus being the Son of God, God in human flesh, the Pharisees persist in in willful doubt. Persisting in willful unbelief. The Apostle John's purpose in writing this gospel was to actually counter that tendency to disbelieve. We can hear it in John 20 and verse 31, a passage I've pointed to often in our study here in John's gospel. John 20, verse 31, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. God moved John, the Holy Spirit inspired John to write this gospel so that people in his day who read this and people in our day who read this would not doubt who Jesus is, but would believe that Jesus is the Christ and that Jesus is the Messiah God in human flesh, and that seeing would believe, and that believing we would have life in his name, 
There is life through faith in Jesus Christ. Last Sunday, we saw here in John 9 that Jesus had healed the man born blind. He had given this man, who had been blind from birth, given him sight. But in the account before us this morning, as we continue in John chapter 9, the people asking all the questions we saw last week, asking questions of this man who had been given his sight, they decide to take this man to the Pharisees for answers. They're still stunned by this incredible miracle that a man that's never had sight before can now see. They thought, surely the religious leaders ought to have something to say about this. Surely they can help us. Surely they can help us understand how this can be, that a man born blind is given sight. But instead of clear answers, what they get from the Pharisees is a clouded, doubt-filled investigation. It's a doubt-filled investigation that leads to doubt-filled conclusions. So first, let's look at the verses 13 through 16 and note that we must believe the evidence and believe Jesus because if we don't, we will willfully doubt the work of God and that willful doubt in the work of God makes you unreasonable, proud, suspicious, and distrustful. Look at verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. So the people who brought the man to the Pharisees are the ones who had questioned him earlier. Now, why did they take him to the Pharisees? Because they were the trusted religious leaders of the day. They were supposed to be the ones with the answers. Verse 14, look at it. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And here's the first mention of a real problem for the Pharisees. Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath. That's a no-no, Jesus. Don't you know better? The Pharisees have their rules and regulations. There's to be no healing on the Sabbath according to the legalistic Sabbath prohibitions set up by the Pharisees. Note that these are not God's rules. These are man's rules. According to the Sabbath, the prohibitions the, the Pharisees set forth for the Sabbath, you could only help with an emergency ailment on the Sabbath. You couldn't do more than simply keep the person alive until the next day. You really couldn't even do much to relieve the pain. So no healing was allowed until after the Sabbath. So imagine, imagine you have a child who, whose arm is broken on the Sabbath. There's no setting the bone, not until tomorrow. You could only immobilize it and wait for the next day for treatment. So when the Pharisees learned this man had been given sight, had been healed had been given sight on the Sabbath, their doubt-filled hearts demand an investigation. Remember, this is not the first encounter these religious leaders had with Jesus, and their doubt leads only to them showing their true colors. They are unreasonable, proud, suspicious, and distrustful. That's where doubt will take you. 
Look at verse 15. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. So the man was happy to give a full report to the Pharisees about how Jesus had spit and made mud and put it on his eyes and told him to go wash at the pool of Siloam. And he did. And he came back seeing. But remember, there were Sabbath prohibitions. In fact, there were 39 different types of work that were prohibited on the Sabbath. So you don't work on the Sabbath. In fact, you couldn't knead dough on the Sabbath. And you couldn't even give more medical attention than was absolutely necessary on the Sabbath. So here are the unreasonable, proud, suspicious, and distrustful Pharisees, and they're, they're counting up the violations of the Sabbath as the man recounts what occurred on what was likely the day before, since the Pharisees wouldn't have gathered for a meeting on the Sabbath. So they're likely meeting the next day. But they want some reason to accuse Jesus of wrong. So they start counting up the Sabbath violations that Jesus committed. Now in that day, saliva was thought to have healing properties, so that was a violation. And then he, he took his saliva and he took mud and he mixed them together. He had to knead that like you would need dough, he had to mix that. He, he had to knead the mud to do that. So there's another Sabbath violation. But again, these aren't, these aren't God's commands. The Pharisees had all these rules for keeping the Sabbath. All the while, they ignore that what Jesus had done was show mercy. Forget that Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath, Mark 2, 27. Forget that instead of doubting and accusing, they should have been praising God for this miraculous work of sight. They should have been amazed themselves. And I just want to hit pause right here for a moment because we're inclined to think those, those dirty rascals, those Pharisees. And if you and I are not careful, we could find ourselves more concerned with our standards, our rules, our own regulations, more concerned with the violation of our rules and standards, rather than being gracious to people who need Christ. But willful doubt leads to pride. And you know, a form of making up your own rules to perfect your religion is a form of distrust of God's promises and God's rules. Willful doubt leads to pride. Note the pride of the Pharisees. Look at verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. 
their pride-filled hearts can't possibly allow any belief to enter into their thinking. They don't care about the purpose for which Jesus has done this incredible work. They only care that he violated their rules. How dare he? He can't be from God, they say. But again, these weren't God's rules. How proud and how arrogant. And again, I pause here and say, we need to examine our own hearts and our own lives to be cautious. It's one thing to have a personal conviction about how you should live. But if that's a personal conviction, it's not a, a biblical truth that you could point to and say, God says this is how we must live. It's, it's one thing to have a conviction about how you apply the truths of scriptures to your own life, but it's something different to make up new rules and new standards of how other people behave or should behave because of your convictions. Pharisees are making up their own rules. It would be one thing if these were their convictions that they should not work on the Sabbath. But they took those and applied them to everyone. Note too here how doubt makes you unreasonable. Some of them evidently are having to second guess what they believe. They're they're divided. It doesn't make sense that a sinner could do such a miraculous thing as give sight to a man born blind. How incredible is this? Verse 17, So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? Look at what the blind man says, who's no longer blind, and now he sees more than he ever did before. He is a prophet, says the man. So how do you deal with doubt? For one, believe the evidence. Believe the evidence. Instead of leaning on your preconceived ideas, you believe the evidence. Do you want to overcome doubt in the scriptures? Maybe you read the word and you find you find yourself doubting what you're reading. Do you want to find Strength to overcome doubt in the scriptures? Do you want a strong faith? Do you want a growing and healthy faith? Start by believing the evidence about Jesus. Start there. That's what the man who can now see was doing. The Pharisees asked for his opinion about Jesus. They're so filled with pride, they're so filled with indignation, they couldn't even call Jesus by name. They say, what do you say about him? Back in verse 16, they they call Jesus this man. But the man with sight says, well, well, let's see. Uh, Based on the fact that I was born blind and now I can see, I say he's a prophet. I say he's a prophet. But for the Pharisees, that answer was, was uh, not acceptable. That will not do. So they call for the parents. And note as we look at verses 18 through 23, 
We must believe the evidence about Jesus. We must believe in Jesus because willfully doubting the work of God makes you unmovable, uncontrollable, stubborn, incurable, obstinate. We see here more doubt-filled investigation that leads to more doubt-filled conclusions. Look at verses, I'll begin with verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight, verse 19, and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? So they listened to the man's testimony, but that wasn't enough. It's not enough to hear from the man himself, I I, I know I was born blind, I was there. I was born blind. I can now see. Yes, it's me. They go to the parents anyway. They're stubborn. They're unmovable. They're obstinate in their doubt. Only when they ask the parents can they believe he was really born blind. Look at verses 20 through 23. His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. Verse 22, the Apostle John's parenthetical note here, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue And now verse 23, therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Don't ask us. Before this investigation began, the Pharisees had already made up their minds about Jesus. You can see it in verse 22. We know that this is our son, said the parents. But verse 22 points out the fact that though the parents knew that their son was the one born blind that was now seeing, they were afraid because the Pharisees had already made up their minds, if you confess Jesus to be the Christ, we're going to put you out of the synagogue. The parents were afraid to admit that they did know how their son now sees, and they did know who had opened his eyes. Why? Because they were afraid, because the word was out that if you confess Jesus to be Christ, we're going to excommunicate you from the synagogue. We may not quite understand that, but that was a serious threat. It would mean being cut off from the social life of Israel, being excommunicated from the synagogue, religiously, economically, and socially separated, cut off. And so the answers the parents give are safe answers. But interestingly, the answers still point to the truth that a miracle did occur. He was born blind. We know it. That's our son. How he received his sight, we don't know. Which, that probably wasn't true. Now look at what follows in verses 24 through 34 and note that we must believe the evidence and believe in Jesus 
Because if we don't, willfully doubting the work of God makes you irrational, uncorrectable, unteachable, scornful, and even cruel. We're going to see it here. The doubt-filled investigation of the blind man continues with more doubt-filled conclusions. The Pharisees called the man back for more questioning. Verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Now this is irrational. How irrational are the Pharisees to continue their refusal to believe the testimony of the man and the parents that they now have to call the man back and all they can hope is that he'll slip up and his story somehow will change. And when they say, note that, you see that little phrase, give glory to God? Note this, they, they don't mean that they want the man to glorify God as, as we think of glorifying God with the way that we live, the way that we speak, making much of Christ, pointing to our Savior. They're not asking him to do that. They're saying, speak the truth before God. Speak the truth. But, did they really want the truth? You see, their minds are made up. They don't really want the truth. They say, we know that this man is a sinner. Now speak the truth. (laughs) Verse 25, look at it. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. That's That's an incredible phrase, isn't it? I love that. I wonder if you can say that today. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you come to the point where you realize you need to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus and in Him alone? If that's true of you, that you've come to that point where you have trusted in Christ, you can say, with the man born blind, though I was blind, now I see. How do you deal with doubt? Believe the evidence. (laughs) That's all this man is doing. He's believing the evidence. So he says, I can't say whether he's a sinner or not, but, but what I can say is that I was blind and now I see. And he did it. But the Pharisees, oh, how obstinate. And uncorrectable, never mind the fact that you can now see. Now look at verses 26 and 27. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, verse 27, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? (laughs) You get the idea here that the man born blind is having fun with them now. <laughs> oh, oh, now I know why you're asking me again. You want to be his disciples. You want to believe. Well, they don't take kindly to that. So here they are. They're hardened in their unbelief. They treat him with scornful cruelty. You can see it in verses 28 and 29. They reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, 
we do not know where he comes from. In other words, you're such a simpleton. You obviously don't know the truth, but we do. Because we're disciples of Moses. He brought the law from God. And we're the law keepers. And we've even improved on the law given to Moses. We've got our own regulations. And besides all that, they say, we don't even know where he's from. Which, that was a lie. Jesus had told them many times before, that's irrational, uncorrectable, willful doubt, and the man sees that. So he says in verse 30, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. This was like saying, you know, there's only one thing that's more incredible than a man born blind receiving his sight. It's your unbelief. That's irrational, uncorrectable, willful doubt. And then, whether he meant to or not, he proceeds to give them a lesson in theology. Look at verses 31 through 33. We know, this man speaking, the man born blind who can now see, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. This man is so perplexed by their unbelief, he simply lays out the truth for them as he sees it. And he sees incredibly clearly. And again, their irrational thinking, their behavior is clear as they heap their scornful cruelty on him. Verse 34, they answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And it says, and they cast him out. What was their problem? And might I ask, what's our problem when we doubt God's promises, when we doubt God's word, when we doubt the evidence that God has put on display The problem, as Paul puts it, inspired by the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 2.14, is this, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The person without Christ, the person who has not repented of sin and believed in Jesus, for salvation, the person without Christ is so inclined to doubt that without the grace of God opening their eyes, they will not believe. And even if you are a believer, there's a warning sign for us here. Even if you are a believer in Jesus, you are prone to doubt when you rely on your own fleshly wisdom instead of trusting God's promises. Trusting God's word. Pastor and author Paul Tripp points to our problem when he writes, One of sin's greatest rebellions is our repeated refusal to listen and submit 
to the wisdom of God revealed on every page of his word. Minister and theologian J.C. Ryle writes, The state of mind we should always desire to possess is that of the noble-minded Bereans. When they first heard the Apostle Paul preach, they listened with attention. They received the word with all readiness of mind. They searched the scriptures and compared what they heard with God's word. And therefore, we are told, many of them believed. Happy are those who go and do likewise. Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, God incarnate, He came to save sinners. So, unbeliever, stop doubting. Come to Jesus with repentance for your sin and believe in Jesus, for He alone saves, He alone forgives. And believer in Jesus, Be challenged today to lean on the Spirit of God at work in you with the Word of God. You need the Word. If your faith is in Christ, God promises His Spirit is in you, but you also need to do your part. Put the Word in. Read the Scriptures. Believe God's Word. If you you find something you don't understand, I encourage you to keep reading. Often what comes after will explain what you didn't understand. And the Bible interprets itself quite well. Believer in Jesus, lean on the Spirit of God at work in you with the Word of God as you read the Scriptures and submit to the truth of God's Word. Do not doubt. Believe the evidence. Believe it with your whole life. And you will honor God with the way that you live. May that be us. May that be Chardon Baptist Church. That we honor God with our faith, with our belief, and that we have a growing faith.